Greetings, and thanks so much for uh, listening to another PATC podcast. Public Agency Training Council is the country's largest and longest-running provider of seminars for police and fire, school teachers, school administrators, and public officials. My name is Mark Waterfill. I'm the president and owner of PATC, and we really appreciate you listening in. Today, we have Mike Hoblieb, who is one of our instructors from Louisville, Kentucky. Mike, say hello to everyone. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Doing great. And pronounce your last name for me. I always butcher it. I apologize. It's been butchered for the last 51 years of my life, but it's all blab of a long eye. I've been called Waterfield uh, all of my life, but actually my family is originally from very near where Mike lives. In fact, my dad was born in Louisville, Kentucky, which is Mike's hometown. Is that right? Born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, entire life. Uh, you're in Louisville, correct? Yes, I retired from LMPD after 20 years of service, and then I went to the Bull County Sheriff's Office, where I'm currently a major there, and I run the narcotics unit in the CIU unit. How long have you been an officer? 29 years. December 7th this year will be my 30th year. Are you a married guy? Yes, I have kids. Married and have kids. Have a great family. And uh, How old are the kids? I've got two in college, and I've got one that's a little younger. He's, he's going on nine years old, so I started over. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about what hobbies you like to do outside of law enforcement. I'm not very good at it. I like fishing golf, love fishing golf, and that's what I do in my, in my spare time. But uh, I don't have a whole lot of spare time with the family and work. Uh, not very good either one, but I actually love to do them. That's great. And I also coach youth football, which is a lot of fun also. And what ages are those youth football players? Started coaching a couple of years ago. I think right now we're at the eight and nine-year-old peewee division. I bet that's stiff competition. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I, I honestly, you know, family relatives always comes first. But uh, my second hobby is police work. Everybody knows I love it. I've put my entire life into it the last 30 years of my life. And I give it 100% yesterday like I did, you know, 29, almost 30 years ago. And I've uh, been very successful at it. And it's kind of, I, I call it a hobby because I enjoy doing it so much. And uh, just been very successful. So my way of returning that to law enforcement is to come back and everything I've learned, share that with everyone else to kind of better their careers. Well, you're a fantastic instructor. We very much appreciate having you teach for us. Tell our listeners what classes you do teach. There's three areas. I teach uh, search warrants as a class. I've, ta I've taught for about 15 years now. Narcotics, I've taught that for uh, off and on for, for about the same same amount of time. And then just over the past, I guess, three to four years, I started teaching balance class. And those are the three areas. Most of those areas deal with narcotics. Uh, search warrants, of course, deals with all, all areas of law enforcement. But uh, those are the three classes I teach for PHEC. What are some of the important aspects of your search warrant class? You know, the search warrant class, you know, I started I started uh, creating the class 15 years ago for Louisville Metro, and I didn't realize how, imper how important search warrant was. And part of the reason why is every time I teach a class, I interview the class, talk to the different officers, detectives, and deputies, and I've learned that about 99% of all search warrants are signed. So you get that false sense of security in your head that, hey, no matter how I create this warrant, how no matter how I write this warrant, it's going to get signed. And when that happens, you start shortcutting different items, and that's why when you see in the news there's issues with search warrant execution of the right to search warrants or the validity of search warrants in, in, in the courtroom, that's when you start seeing that, okay, wow, you start seeing officers are, are cutting corners during the search warrants and there's issues later on. But another thing I look at also is, is that on average, the average law enforcement officer goes to trial every four to six years. So with that in mind, they know that they're getting 99% of search warrants signed. Going to trial being challenged as court is very little. So that's when the corners are cut. So in my class, I teach that you put 100% effort into every search warrant you do so there's never a question
question when you get on the stand, if, it, if it's questioned during the, the probable cause hearing, suppression hearing, your search warrant is strong enough to make it through either one of those. So I go through, I read I read search warrants all across the country. The majority is poorly written. Um, the information's there. They're not taking the time and effort to put it into the search warrant. And, you know, a lot of times when I get the critiques back, because I know you read all the critiques, and I do too. I've read them since the last 15 years. Every, every critique that's turned in, I read. And when I read those, I love the comments. If I would have had this class 20 years ago, my career would have been different. Or you get the comment all every officer, every recruit officer, everybody should attend this class. The importance of what I teach and what it means to different agencies I go to. Oh, that's tremendous. And and yes, we do read those and, and they are excellent. That's for sure. So when you talk about an excellent search warrant as, a, as opposed to uh, an average or below average search warrant, what makes the difference? For most of my career, the way I see detectives do it is they'll start an investigation. And throughout that investigation, they don't start preparing the search warrant. They're getting all all the intelligence, all the intelligence gatherings occurring, all the independent uh, investigative techniques are, are occurring, and they're collecting it but not putting it into a search warrant. Then one day you have a pedestrian stop, a traffic stop, another search warrant, an incident occurs, which is like, wow, now I need to write a search warrant. And then you've got two or three agencies involved. You've got people out watching the house. And there's all that pressure to write a very, because everything's active. And what happens? is they sit down and they're rushing the putting they're putting just enough in that search warrant to get it signed so one of the things i teach in the class is is during your investigation consistently on a daily basis add your search warrant on day one if you know that you're you're on a, on a decent case you know there's a great chance of you having to write a search warrant in the future go ahead and start writing search warrant now and on a daily basis you add to that search warrant whether it be pictures information traffic stuff pedestrian stuff you're constantly adding. so then when you have that eight month investigation and you make that one traffic stop that wraps up the entire warrant you had that one or two paragraphs to your 32 page search warrant and you're done there's no there's no pressure because of time there's no pressure because of yeah i have everything in here nothing in there because you've been adding information to that warrant you've been going through the review process which i go through talking about other detectives know nothing in investigation so you get you get you get somebody that's in law enforcement that knows nothing about the case that's reviewing your warrant you get the prosecutor reviewing your warrant you get your command officer reviewing your warrant and you got your peers that are your your co-leads and your other detectives in your unit reviewing that warrant that way at the when it, that last little thing happen you've got everything ready to go and you have a solid great foundation warrant that you can get signed and you know it's going to make it through the suppression probable cause hearings do you try to narrow what is requested in the search warrant you know, honestly, Mark, I hear people ask that question. I don't. I try and run with requests because what, what I see at fault is you have a lot of officers that they are writing a search warrant is the affidavit. All you're doing is telling me. Now, there's a lot that goes into that that a lot of officers leave off, and I, I go through that through the whole class. But one of the one of the problems I see is is everybody narrows down what they're looking for. Like on a homicide scene, they're asking for certain things, but they don't realize how important the paperwork is or the other the other items that, that the fruits of the crime that go with the homicide. Narcotics is the same way. They get into a house, they start seeing items that are very important. They're investigation but they look at their search warrant those items aren't listed in the search warrant and we all know that you can only see these items that are listed in the search warrant and then what i see also is those items that are listed as items to wit items to seize each one of those items is important in your investigation and a lot of times that's not in the search warrant you know they're saying i want to see mail matter i want to see guns i want to see ammo but then there's nothing in the search warrant that states okay why is it important to seize mail matter in an narcotics investigation so i go through all that and uh, i try to broaden their eyes say hey look if you're doing a robbery search warrant. These are the items you need to look for. Don't narrow yourself down to just a few items. Make sure you can articulate why you want all these items and make sure they're all included in your search warrant. That, that's excellent advice. Let's talk a little bit about your surveillance class. That is a class which is very intriguing. Tell our audience what happens in that class. 
and, and Mark, if I can go back one other thing, I think it's real important as far as the search warrant class. That sure, that's probably one sure. of the number one things about the search warrant class is I don't think anybody realizes when you come to the class, I bring a thumb drive and either they download it from the PHEC website or a lot of times I will physically download it in class. It's over 450 different templates and different items that will help them write search warrants in the future. Throughout my entire career, I never had that. And so that's a tool that's awesome. So when they're writing a search warrant, they can plug that flash drive in and they've got templates for all kinds of different search warrants. And so uh, I make sure they understand all those templates, what they mean, the importance of reviewing them. But that's another something great about the class. that it's, it's a bonus when they take that class. Excellent material. Mike, tell us about the surveillance class. What is taught there? Uh, the surveillance class, through my 30 years, I, I've noticed that police are horrible at surveillance. There's very few classes to take. And so LMPD wanted me to create this class. And of course, it started to become a real success with LMPD. So then I brought it to you and we put on the road. And basically, the surveillance class is a two-day class. The first day is four to midnight. That first four to five hours is a classroom portion. And I go over all the surveillance techniques. We all know that electronic surveillance is big now. A lot of smaller agencies aren't familiar with, with what's available as far as electronics goes. So I go over that. The night portion of that class, basically, I'm a suspect along with another suspect in the class. I like to have one person from the class be a suspect so they can see the, 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 the other side of, of police work, being the suspect. That night is nighttime surveillance. At the end of that night, I give them a GPS tracker. They have to attach it to my car after that portion of the class is over. Then the next day is daytime surveillance with a with actual GPS tracker on my car. After that daytime portion is over, we then go back to the classroom, and there's about an hour and a half to two hours block of where the lead detective, the co-lead, and the transcriber in the class will then go over everything they saw, everything they did, what I did, the times, and so on. I then go over and I tell them, hey, here's what I saw or what I didn't see. The best part, if I didn't see it, that's a good thing because I didn't see them doing surveillance. It's an excellent class. You can send me out west somewhere and I can be in a classroom of 15 to 20 law enforcement officers Then the majority of them don't know each other. They're from two or three different states and the ones from those specific states are even from different counties. I can bring them together. I can have them communicate with each other and do surveillance in a city they don't know any streets and do almost surveillance to a perfection. And I always tell them, if the class is, is successful like that, you can go back within your agency and have an unbelievable group of people conduct surveillance, almost undetectable surveillance. And I know that the students really enjoy that class as well. They love the class, and not only is it fun, but they get a whole lot out of it. They go back and start, a lot of them start buying electronic surveillance equipment and are very successful at that. A lot of them go back and take all these techniques and put it in, into the traditional surveillance and are very successful. And how about the narcotics class? What is involved with that? They're not, the narcotics class is based on major case investigation. The majority of departments around the nation I see work on your lower level to mid-level narcotic traffic, but very few people know how to or put the effort forth to focus on the major case investigation. And like I always tell these agencies, when someone is drug trafficking and becomes to the kingpin status, and the kingpin status is basically a person who controls a network of people in the drug trade, but a lot of times they insulate themselves with several layers of individuals who operate that organization form. When it gets to that point, it is extremely difficult to investigate and prosecute those individuals. So I get into the class of how to prosecute them through the use of a criminal syndicate or conspiracy statutes that most every state has, but most detectives aren't aware of. So there are criminal RICO and, and similar laws under state statute? Yes, most people don't know they exist, but in every, in, in the laws are, are labeled a different title in, in different states. But if you look at them, it's the same concept. They don't know how to 
utilize those to go after the kingpins. And that's what you have to do because, like I said, they have people that, that have those layers of separation and insulate themselves from it to where they're not they're not physically in possession of the money. They're not physically in possession of the drugs. They run the organization. And those are the most dangerous, most difficult people that need to be in the penitentiary. And so I teach how to investigate them and, and uh, uh, successfully prosecute them. Well, that's fantastic. We really appreciate your hard work and putting everything together. I know that when you first introduced yourself to us, uh, you had excellent materials and uh, have been passionate about teaching. I know that you also usually have a table full of uh, items. What, what all do you take with you to your classes? Man, Mark, I told you before, I like doing everything 100%. If I'm not flying and I'm driving to a location, I've always got all kinds of different props. If we're, you know, for the, especially for the narcotics class and search warrant class, I got three tables full of props to make the class a little more interesting. I always bring my candy with me. I, some of you will call me the candy man because I always have candy for the class. I try to make it the most comfortable environment I can for the I want them to come come away with a, with, a, with a great experience. And so that's why I do those things. The surveillance class, I've got all kinds of props. I make that as realistic as humanly possible. I, I make it... it it, to make them think that they're and it's funny the surveillance class they always they always think wow that man I felt like I was real I was I was nervous I really felt like I was involved in a real situation so I try to make it fun I try to make it fun for everybody no matter what I'm teaching you sure do and you do a great job thank you so much for all your hard work any closing thoughts for our audience. Uh, I tell you what, like I said, Mark, and you send me names and numbers all the time. If anybody has any questions of how my classes would, would help their department or agency out, you're more than willing to call. I'll talk to you. I'll tell you all about the class and, and, and tell you how it would help their department specifically. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at podcast one at gmail.com. One, two.